Hey, welcome to Younger and Older. This is Jason and Dave hanging out at the beautiful studios of Relate365.com in the beautiful Northwoods of Wisconsin, which is now covered with snow here at Silver Birch Ranch. So uh, it's it's beautiful outside. It is like, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's it's nice. It accentuates all the trees that have fallen. It does, and even... There's a white stripe going and, everywhere. And even puts into limbo some of the other trees, quite literally speaking. It, it does. There's some trees that I walked it by on the way over here. I'm like, mm, yeah. trees aren't supposed to like curve yeah, like no. that. <laughs> you know what, though? We were talking about environment. And as you talk about environment, we look at, we were in the middle of a huge windstorm up here called the derecho. And uh, people who have been listening know that. So most of the forest has been blown down uh, around us. And uh, a lot of people come and said, oh, this is just devastating. I said, well, yes and no. It's, it's actually going to repair itself. I mean, the forest does that. Um, it will look different, but you, you guys know there's a difference between a mature forest and an immature forest. So after like a forest fire, and this forest burnt down back in the Peshtigo fire days. So this forest burnt down. Now, the, the young forest, when it comes in, is normally um, your, your popples or your aspen. It's your birch trees. That, those are like the cover crop. Then it goes to hardwoods. It goes to, to maples, oaks. A mature forest ends up being uh, white pine. You know, that kind of thing. So then usually when it becomes white pine, it burns down and starts all over again. That's the cycle of a forest, whether we like the cycle or not. Most of us don't live long enough to see the cycle, uh, but there's a cycle there. So I'm looking at this forest burnt down during the Chicago fire, the Peshtigo fire. And, uh, and, And basically when we came up here, the hill going down to the lake at Silver Birch Ranch was solid white birch trees. Solid. Hmm. That's how it got its name. The sun was coming off. It was sunset. The sun was hitting it. It looked silver. Mm. So we have Silver Birch Ranch. So that's how we got the name. Now, if you go down there, how many birch trees do you see on the hill? Hardly any. A couple. Yeah. It's mostly other trees. Now, you figure during the storm that we had, the trees that came down were these hardwoods, mostly oaks, maples, that kind of thing that came down. What made it through the storm? The white pine. Hmm. they're growing now, and they're going to grow less inhibited. And I'm looking at this going, God, was this just a like a forest move? I mean, this is how forests go, and then it'll grow up again, and one day someone will be lighting a fire or lightning will hit it, and it'll all burn down, and you start over? It, it, I don't know. Uh, but when you think environment, that's kind of how I think. I think growing, uh, being in the North Woods here for 50-some years, um, I personally have thought those who – think cutting down trees and you know it's like i cut down trees by the hundreds you can't even find where i cut them down mm-hmm. things grow god seemed to have made it to repair itself and to grow like like the shirt we were talking about in the last program it's like go make another one god says i'll make another forest this isn't a big deal mm-hmm. you know you burn it down all these pines will grow because i need the fire to stimulate the the seed uh you blow it down which we didn't do and that was nature Uh, That was God who blew it down. I'll just let the pines grow up around it. Um, Those Norway pines that you planted that aren't native, Mm -hmm. I snapped most of them. Mm -hmm. They're not native. You know, they're they're not meant to go through that storm. Right. Um, So it's kind of interesting to me. I don't know where you guys sit on on the idea of, okay, there's this natural change that takes place that is normal and healthy, even though it's very inconvenient when a forest burns, you know, or or wind takes it down. And then there's, there's... the change that's caused by man destroying it. Mm-hmm. And what, what is the difference? I mean, what, 
when you look at it, what, what really is the difference there? Because we didn't do anything. The Peshko fire, I, I don't even know how that happened. Actually. You want to take this, Jay? Because I, I have another thought. I'm going to bet it might be a rabbit trail. Oh, that's fine. Through the Go woods. A rabbit that's trail that's through the show. Go ahead, rabbit trail. For those of you listening, Zach Ellis is joining us today. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's a former uh, camp kid here at Silver Trench, so he's hanging out with so us. So rabbit trail it. Go ahead. So let's yeah. go rabbit trail. I mean, rabbit usually trail Dave is the one who takes us down the trail, so yeah. oh, let's, good. Uh, let's, let's diverge here. Uh, hopefully I can remember the thoughts that I was uh, having just a second ago before we said trail rabbit trail like right. eight, 18 times. No, I was thinking um, that I think for for Christianity nowadays, right? So everybody at this table, I think, would subscribe to uh, to that worldview and the language that that often comes with Christianity in today's world, in in the West, in the modern world, is I think a lot more divorced from the connection to to the animal kingdom, to to the trees, to the water, to the elements that are around us, because we've built our way out of it, right? And that's not a bad thing, right? It certainly has promoted a more, more comfortable life in many ways. And that's not just in America, that's around the globe. Um, the UN would report that overall around the globe that there has been a massive increase in overall wealth across across the world and that despite utilizing or overutilizing some of our resources those are often going to the services of making buildings and homes and shelters and hospitals and things that are helpful for humanity so it's hard it's hard to parse those things out but i think for sure both the way that we talk about the world that we live in and specifically Christianity, I think it has, as a, as, a, as a church, as a belief system, it has a little bit of a phobia about anything that dabbles in the, the nat- like naturalism, spiritualism. So I don't want to deify an animal. I don't want to deify or worship a tree or a river. But I think that maybe we have lost a lot of the the necessary respect and working alongside of those things. So it would be my belief that God gave the world to humanity. So it's ours uniquely. It's not a whale's. It's not an elephant's. We're caring for it. And maybe caring for it means that we remember a lot more of how intimately and, and inextricably intertwined we are with the things around us. So the trees, like maybe you don't want to cut out, like cut all of them down in one area of the Amazon because uh, America needs paper, right, or whatever it is. But at what point do we start to say, okay, this behavior is not good? Whereas before, you know, if you want to build a house, go to Menards, buy your lumber. That's okay. But at some point, there has to be decisions made where it's not okay anymore, and it'll be at least negative for the world as the humans live in it. If we're measuring success on humans flourishing in this place, then I think, well, that's a good metric to start with. And that's probably mostly going to be in tandem with the things around us anyway. Well, do you think, though, that people who, uh, the great amount of people living in urban areas, they, they see the world different than those of us who live in the woods? The people that living in the urban areas? Yeah. Well, I mean, my experience growing up here, when people from urban areas came to visit Silver Birch Ranch in the north woods of Wisconsin, where there are no streetlights, where it's dark at night, where you see stars, where you're definitely connected. It's, there's dirt on the ground. There's no pavement. Yeah. And people, well, people would freak out. Uh, in many ways, like, wow, this is so incredibly beautiful. People would also wonder, like, when you go to swim in the ocean, if a shark will get you. People <laughs> thought of that, like, bears around right. here. Uh, But there was definitely a disconnection, right? People come here in many ways to at least, uh, at least for three days before it gets too uncomfortable, feel more connected to to the land. Well, I I think this, like, I I understand that plastics are a problem in the ocean, Uh right? Yeah. But what happens to our garbage? Somebody comes, picks it up. I don't have to think about it. 
I don't have to deal with it. You don't have to, but I guess the argument would be that you do need to. Well, I agree with you, but th- th- what I'm looking at is the educational side of it. Right. So how do I get somebody who gets their garbage picked up? Right. It does not affect them today, maybe in a month, two months, five months. They, they live in Chicago. They're never going to see a whale. Right. right. For, you know, they're, right. the, they're in the Lawndale area of Chicago. They're, they're never probably going to see this stuff affect the environment sure. that way. Right. Not directly. So, so how do we educate them and say, you know, plastic's a bad thing. When I throw in the garbage can, it's gone. These right. guys come down in this truck, they put it in there and they're gone. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then what I found is there, and, and I don't know if that's still happening, but I forget what country it was, but there are a bunch of garbage ships that were coming from the United States waiting on load mm-hmm. and they were, they were rejected. I'm going, China. So, so yeah, here and so we the are American public, our garbage somewhere else. And the American public doesn't even know that for recycling as of, I don't know how many years ago. So you can still put it in your recycling bin. They'll still pick it up as recycling. But China is no longer buying it from us as a waste product to turn into manufactured right. goods. So it our recycling, most of it now is going to landfill or to burning uh, within the states. It's yeah. not even going anywhere. And it's a cost to us to do so. Yeah. So the question probably for all of it, whether it's recycling or anything else, would be if we pay for these services via tax dollars and we all care because we all live here and we're all being constantly told that there's problems, but just only that there are problems and maybe some low resolution ideas about what could be done. But why isn't it just abundantly, transparently clear what it is the problem is and what we would have to do, even if it's painful, what we would have to do to change it? Right. Otherwise, it's like, can we stop talking about it? Stop telling me that there's a problem. Stop telling me that I'm living incorrectly without providing any alternative. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, right. so I go to the store, and on it I need to buy Ziploc bags. Mm-hmm. So I buy them. What's going to make me change? That? Right. What else? What's my alternative here? With the way lifestyle is, with what we do, I mean – I think it gets so easy for everybody to talk about, oh, this is really bad. And I'm sitting there going, okay, what's my alternative? Right. And what do you want? What else can I do? And if I'm going to be the only person to decide to live differently, then it's going to be for certain at the cost of needing to live with a comparison to your neighbor who's not having to deal with, okay, well, now I don't have this amenity, so I have to do it the hard way. And then you start stacking those things up. Maybe you're the only person in your neighborhood, and all of a sudden you literally can't keep up with the pace of American life anymore Mm -hmm. because you're not using the amenities given to you that everybody else is. So it is really only so, like, Unless you're wealthy, it's kind of funny. To be like a, a an environmentally advocating person in many ways means that you have to be a wealthier well, person. And I was almost going to say that because a lot of times those solutions are expensive. Very. You know, and so it's just like, you know, especially when you live in, you know, if we give our example, rural America, you know, where you have people that don't even have the money to pay for health care. Mm-hmm. You know, why then would I say, well, don't use that plastic? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, my son can't even go to the doctor because I don't have money for that, and you're giving me ridicule about you know, and and that's the, and that's the reality. That's Mark. reality, you know, and that's that's part of the argument that we don't necessarily see because we watch media, and media is is, is saying the whale had a bunch of plastic <laughs> in his belly, and and but there's no solution there, so it leaves right. you helpless. Right, it, right. It, it's it's kind of like I, I, again, being one who likes to go to thought. Here, here's my process right now. I'm, I'm thinking, okay, no one disagrees that plastic's hard to get rid of. Right. You know, so I would say let's really put a lot of investment into some kind of science that will make plastic, and I think they have it already, that will de- degenerate what, whatever it might, might be. So let's figure out a way to do that since it seems like we're all hopelessly addicted to some kind of plastic at this point. 
Um, but I also think there's there's ramifications that we don't understand, and and I think it's easy to get on a bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, when I go down to Chicago, now let me ask you first, Jason. Yeah. Do you treat your water at all at your house? Yeah. Okay. See, I don't treat mine. Now that's where so. I, even if it were bad, I wouldn't want to treat it. Yeah. I just don't like the idea we of just, treating water. We just have a reverse osmosis system, and that's well, that's okay. I mean, that's different. I don't, than, other than that, I don't treat it, that's, and that's just because we have a little bit more iron in our water. Yeah, and that's a so little different than throwing salt in it, right? As far as I'm concerned, it, when I go down to Chicago, and that's where you live, Zach, mm-hmm. it tastes like I'm drinking swimming pool water. <laughs> Probably because you are. <laughs> no, I, I mean it's it, true. <laughs> it smells like swimming pool water. Yeah. It tastes like, and and the people who live there are saying, "You really smell that?" And, Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and normally I have some intestinal problems oh, until yeah. I come back. We, we, we usually we usually bring. You don't water. drink it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now my my son in law is in public water and he won't drink it. He mm-hmm. won't drink the water in his city. Right. Uh, and because he knows what's in it. And that's in America. That's self imposed. Now, but let's let's back that bus up. Mm-hmm. Because they treat the water, they've been able to stop all these other diseases. Right. So my question is, how bad is it? You know, I mean, that's the weight that I'm trying to figure out right. in my head educationally. Mm-hmm. All right, so if they don't treat the water, what does that mean? Now, I don't treat my water at my house. I have a 100-foot well. I don't treat it. Mm-hmm. I do have it tested about once every 20 years. You know, right. I mean, I really don't even test it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pure water. It tastes good. I'm fine with it. Right. Uh, it does wear out some of my stuff because the white calcium or whatever will go on my coffee pots and things. And people say, well, you need to soften. I go, I don't need to put anything in the water. Water is water. You know, I'm going to let yeah. water come up my pipes and whatever it does, it does. Um, the other thing that, that I looked at, the same ramification, same thinking, is this genetically modified food. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, now, as I've talked to people on both sides of this one. Mm-hmm. And those who are very pro-genetically modified, and just for the record, I am against it. Yeah. And I'm against it because I think God made food a certain way, eat it that way. Sure. I mean, that's... Don't make it more complicated. That's my whole theory. It has nothing to do with anything else. That's it. So don't argue the science with me because it has nothing to do with science. It has to do more almost with my theological thought that sure. God made it like a deer, kill it and eat it the way it is, you know, sure. kind of thing. However, I have heard some very good arguments about taking care of people of the world with because of the increased production that we're able to have and and i understand that and and i also understand the other side that says well this could cause all kinds of diseases i guess if you're starving to death the disease doesn't bother you as much you know i mean i don't know where all that lands and and i really don't know what to believe on it honestly i i i I do know that they did you know they just came out with an apple that will not rot for a year. Mm-hmm. Really? I forget the name of it, mm-hmm. um, but they have one now. It's 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 part of the Honeycrisp line, right? And it, it it was developed in Washington State, I believe. And the Washington State farmers, I think, get ten years of doing it before anyone else can get the seeds. Whatever it might be, I have no well, idea. Well, like you said, you never know the side effects that these things have. I lived in Northern Ireland for four years. You know, and and the thing I noticed without even being pointed out, you know, is the difference in food from America. It was all the same stuff in terms of like bread and and all that sort of stuff. Um, But I would buy a loaf of bread, you know, like you would at a store here. Here you could have a loaf of bread, what it would last you, you know, maybe three weeks, four weeks, you know, whatever. Tops. Tops. 
you know, over there, it lasted me three or four days before it was moldy. And I'm like, huh, yeah, that's different, you know. And then you make homemade bread. Have you guys made homemade bread? Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, homemade bread. Come on, Zach's mom it, is like the bread. Queen. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You know, how long does that last? About a week. About yeah. no, it does. It goes if right that. away. We eat yeah. it. Right. It, well, it doesn't I, last touche, at all. Touche. Touche. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So, so like you said, you know, as as we have this discussion, there's obviously pros and cons to both and it's trying to find that balance of like all right what do we do here well it seems like in so many ways the whole thing can get simplified to how boring of a life are we willing to live in comparison to the 21st century amenities that we currently have because we could all collectively decide let's live in simpler houses let's not have electricity let's get rid of the internet let's get rid of essentially all the things to know with the knowledge that no matter how we play the game nobody gets out alive so really it becomes a question of how fun or exciting or filled with lights do you want it to be and how comfortable do you want it to be before you still don't win you're still going to die and I think so like taken to its end whatever agenda from whatever side politically whatever it is if we're talking about climate change and talking about enacting massive uh, changes to the way that we live then we know we can do that. You can set up sanctions, you can put rules in place so that it's still a free market, but you can only let use certain resources so much. And then that's what dictates how much stuff is made. But how, how many, if, I, if I'm honest with myself, I am not very excited about the idea of going to live in a 10 by 10 shack that is only lit or only, only heated by firewood. <clears throat> and my only food comes from what I grow in a garden, what I managed to kill in the woods, and my river water that I have to get in a bucket from the river. Right. But we could all do that. We could even live close and do that next to each other. But it seems like, I mean, I you guys live nearby to me. I've been here for like four days. I've only seen you a couple times. I don't want to be that close to you all the right. time. I don't want to have to be haggling over if you're helping grow the zucchini well enough or not. Right. But it seems like that's kind of the direction you would need to go. Or... You take the approach that we we work with progress, we develop what we can, we're built for ingenuity, for creativity, for always trying to push the needle forward and at the cost of knowing that this place isn't where we're going to be for forever, if that's your worldview and perspective. If it isn't, then it's like, well, I guess we can go with the environmental save the world narrative, but are you willing to live the boring life with everybody else? Yeah. You know, well, you? Here, here's here's a thought just going along that line. I, <clears throat> I really think that, you know, for me, uh, burning wood is a good thing. Yeah, because God made the wood. He knew we were going to burn it. I go ahead and burn wood. And, and I heated with wood for 35 years and now I'm not. But I have two fireplaces and they're going every night. You know mm-hmm. what I mean, D- to me, that's a natural thing. Sure. Uh, my skepticism really comes from when my dad died at 60 years old of a heart attack. He had a heart attack. Obviously, his, his arteries were clogged up. What they told him to eat is everything they're telling me not to eat hmm. for my heart. That's how science changes. Hmm. So when he, was, when he was going through this, they told him to eat margarine, hydrogenated margarine. They told him to, all these fake foods mm-hmm. to eat. I'm convinced that killed him. Now, today, I've changed. What I've done is I say, okay, God, you made like butter. I'm going to eat it. So what I do is I look for the least ingredients possible and say, is this real? Is this like, I, I, I went to whole milk. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want anything taken out of it. Just throw it in here. I know I got to get it pasteurized. I, again, pros, cons, people die. I understand that. But I, but I'm, I went to whole milk. I, I eat butter. I, I put, uh, you know, uh, cream in my coffee, real cream. And you know what? All my blood numbers got better. Hmm. All of them. 
And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, didn't God just make things a certain way so that the body knows what to do with them, you know, when you get it in your body? And so you start taking all this fake stuff. Right. You put it in your body, and your body's going, what's that? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, what do I do with hydrogenated something? Mm -hmm. Um, And before you know it, so my my skepticism now is they come up and say, this is the way to go. I I, honestly, through my life, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm not listening to you. Mm -hmm. And, And I don't even know if they're right or not. That's my problem. They could be. Right. Because things change. But It's hard to know. Literally so, hard to know. Yeah. So I settle with this. I say, okay, I'm going to eat real food. Mm-hmm. I'm going to uh, be somewhat responsible with the woods that I live in. I'm going to, to clean up the wood that's down, use it to burn, get it out of here. Um, you know, I'm, go- I'm just going to be responsible in the, in the stuff that I do. And all the research that comes out about various things, I'm just going to be cautious listening to it because... It could be something they've learned, but in my dad's day, they were absolutely certain that margarine would save lives. Mm-hmm. And I remember that because I kept questioning them, margarine, all this kind of stuff. And now as I talk to people, it's like, don't touch margarine. Yeah. Okay. Things shift. I, I yeah. get it, but how do I make a long-term life decision based on science that's always changing? Mm-hmm. Well, it brings up an important point. I think that self-advocacy, right, that individual sovereignty to know that you are at the end of the day, no matter what anybody else says, you're responsible for your own life outcomes. So even you, you could espouse whatever, you know, diet method and talk about it all you want. But at the end of the day, if that isn't the right method or whatever, you're, you had to decide what you were going to eat and you had to live with the outcomes of whatever, even if you did it with full intent that it was a good, healthy decision that was hard to live out. If it didn't work out to be the right one, you got to live with that. Like it, at a certain point, uh, I think we've forgotten, and probably my generation even more so, because of how much corporate conversation there is about every given topic, that eventually you do actually have to take a position, even though everybody seemingly is in disagreement and talking about how we can all be on the different a different page and still be okay. Uh, but you still have to make a decision for yourself, even what no matter what it is, you got to commit to something. And when it comes to if it, the example is food or whatever else, um, like you were talking about GMO seeds before, that seems to be that whole concept seems to be a deviation away from the norm, right? right? We're going to grow all of this one crop in this area because it's easier to grow one thing in one spot in bulk, in bulk. And that doesn't happen naturally. So we got to change the seed. We got to add chemicals so that it can stand up against the bugs that would normally not affect it if it had other stuff around it, bolstering it up. It's it's an immune system. These things all interact with each other. And we deviate from the norm in many ways because I personally don't want to have to grow wheat. I want to be able to take photos. So now only a few people grow wheat and I get a little chunk of it if I have my five bucks for a pound of flour versus... If in this room, at least one of the three of us would probably have to be growing wheat if we wanted bread in the house. Right. right. So that's, the again, back to the thing. How hard do you want it to be versus how uh, how many amenities do you want given to you so you can go and do the other, in many ways, bonus things, like yeah. sitting in a warm room and getting to talk about it. And, right. you know, that's like a, like 17 layers up from being a wheat farmer is talking on a podcast about environmental issues about a wheat farm, whatever, you know, we're so removed from it. Yeah. Uh, but maybe one day we won't be. Maybe one day the choice won't be there to be removed anymore. I don't well, know. And, and again, I think we can live <clears throat> in a way that um, is reality or we can live in a way that tries to promote some idealistic viewpoint. It's not that you can't be idealistic. It's, it's like this. Uh, God tells us not to sin. 
But a lot of Christians will say, well, I'm going to sin anyway, so I'm not trying. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. That's not how we do it. Don't sin. Yeah, but I'm going, okay, there's First John 1, 9, if you confess your sins. The goal is don't sin. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. Now, I'm not saying that, that you'll ever arrive at that goal. Only Jesus did that. But that doesn't mean we don't shoot toward it. The goal is to be responsible. I think responsibility is different in different places. I think urban responsibility is different than country. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm living in a condo, mm-hmm. I probably don't want to play my, my music so loud that everybody in the condo hears it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's the responsible thing in me. I, I don't want to do that. Um, if I'm living out here in the woods, there's nobody to hear it. You know, in the winter, I can go outside in the garage and jam to it. You know, I mean, whatever, doesn't matter. However, if somebody does hear it and bother by it, I have a responsibility. So I think uh, in the city, in an urban area, I mean, you, you basically have to take precautions of uh, just uh, decency. I, I can walk outside in my, my pajamas or any way I want up here. Nobody's going to see me. I live at the edge of a well, million acres. Well, to an extent. Uh, no, I, I can. There's, you know, we'll have to ask Steve. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> no, I go the other way. Uh-huh. The other way. So towards the woods. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line, really, is there's so few people. Yeah. That you can live differently, mm-hmm. and and living differently is not necessarily bad. It's it's the way you're adjusting. And ironically enough, most of the conversation about needing to shift environmental issues or, or the way that we live are coming from the urban centers that there. have a much higher demand on resources without contributing to them, right? Right. So the whole thing just seems to be one massive mess that at the very least we're keenly aware of now via the media, via the news, podcasting, everything, that we're all a part of this global conversation. And the Greta Thunbergs of the world, the, the younger people now I think simply because of education, because they are aware of the problem, are asking questions. They're like we they're at least people are saying constantly, we are here, we're feeling these effects, or at least we're afraid of what might be true or not true, and we still don't know what to do. Right. And that applies not only to the environment, but to life itself. It's like, well, what is the purpose of the whole thing? Not just the environment that I'm living inside of, but for my life too, for, for, for the life that I'm just living, what would I give myself to? What purpose and what is my place in the story? Yeah. Well, I would encourage people who are talking about it too. Don't spread guilt, spread education, talk yeah. to people. Guilt through my life, whenever somebody has acted on guilt, I think they're unhealthy. It's not about guilt. Because right now I could tell somebody you shouldn't use plastic, whales are dying. All right, now I feel guilty when I take out a, yeah, what do I do then? No, okay, the education comes and says, you know, here's what we can do differently. Here, here's an idea. Right. That's an educational side. And it, maybe, you know, you should use more, I know they're plastic, but use more Tupperware and less baggies. You know what I mean? It, it, it's because they're reusable, you could wash them. I, so you can help somebody learn Mm-hmm. without throwing guilt. And, and I would wish that anyone, Greta, whoever it might be, would not be the purveyors of guilt, but would be the people of education and mm-hmm. says, you know, here's what we can do. We, we know there's so many things we can't do, but what can we do to make things the best that they can be for right now? And uh, we'll see what happens. Right, right. Another great discussion. And I think it, the whole goal of these is to create discussion to be able to talk about it. Because as we talked about it, there's a responsibility that we all have to, to learn and to grow. 
um, as opposed to just sit there and think that we don't have a part of anything. And so ownership in the, in the things that we know in the learning process helps us understand the world around us more and even helps us understand the way that God intended life to be. And so that's, that's the cool thing, you know, is because he does call us to be good stewards. And so what does that mean? What does that look like in our current context? And that's a great conversation to have. But unfortunately, we're out of time. So I encourage you to head over to relate365.com to download this podcast and others and check out the other resources that we have here. Otherwise, we love hanging out with you. We love discussing things alongside of you and having you just tune into our conversations. But we're out of time. This is Jason Dave. We'll see you here next time in Younger and Older.